0: in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible?
1: Well, hello. I'm David freeman With Is that really in the Bible. A question I get asked a lot about is, what does the Bible say about cremation? And I think for a lot of people it's appalling, the idea of burning somebody up. And I I think there's a reason for that. The reason that people view this as appalling is because of the false teaching about hell that bad people right now are burning in hell. And so we think, well, if bad people burn in hell, then maybe we shouldn't cremate people uh, as a means of disposing their bodies. Now, let me just clear the air on this subject right now. No one is burning in hell right now. Just get that thought out of your mind. It's simply not true. It's, it's a lie that you have been told through mainstream Christianity. you know, you didn't probably didn't question it. You didn't really think about it. It's a scare tactic to get people to maybe come down to the altar. I mean, let's face reality. More people have come down to the altar from a threat of hell than ever the promise of heaven. You know, streets of gold, angel food cake for the rest of your life, you know, looking into, gazing into the master's eyes. All that gets sort of boring after a while. So, but the threat of hell Yeah, people use that one on and on and on in religion again and again and again. But what your Bible says is this, in Romans 6 and verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, you've been taught a lie all of your life, and you've been taught that the ultimate penalty for sin, the wages of sin, is eternal life in a place called hell. That's what. You, that's the lie you've been told. But that's not what your Bible says. It says the wages of sin is death, not eternal life in hell. And Jesus clarifies this when he says in John 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That word perish means totally destroyed. Okay, you got two choices. You either perish, totally destroyed, or you have everlasting life. Okay, this is what your Savior said. Should not perish, destroyed, but you should have everlasting life. That's the two options that we're faced with. That's the two options the sinner is faced with. Either he will perish, be totally destroyed, or or he will be given everlasting life. Okay, now another thing that has fueled this concept, this false concept, is, is the immortality of the soul, the teaching of the immortality of the soul, that you are born with something immortal about you. And that immortal soul at death, if you've been a bad person, you've been a naughty boy whatever, it has to be destroyed, it has to be sent to a lake of fire, not to be destroyed because it's immortal, you see. And that's what gives hell its power, is the false teaching of the immortality of the soul. Because you burn and burn and burn and never burn up. Okay? What gives hell its power is the false teaching of the immortality of the soul. You don't have an immortal soul right now. Okay, You're going to be given that at the resurrection. We'll cover this in a few minutes here when we will be given immortality but you don't have there's nothing about you that's immortal right now when you die you're dead all over you're like your dog rover when rover died he was dead all over okay now i want to offer you something because in order to understand okay is it okay to cremate somebody uh as a means of disposing of their remains you got to understand the state of the dead it's critical that you understand the state of the dead Now, I'll give this offer again at the end of the program, but it's three publications I want you to have free of charge. The Immortal Soul, you need to learn about that, okay? The Resurrection, you need to understand what the Resurrection is, and what do the dead know? It's critical for you to understand the state of the dead as we go through this subject. Now, okay, cremation, let's talk about it. First of all, one of the reasons it's so popular is because it's it's less expensive. I mean, we're talking about a lot of money. The cost of a full service grave plot marker can easily cost between nine dollars and $15,000 to bury somebody. I don't know about you, but I'm not worth that. I'm, I mean, I'm really not. Uh, in the past 30 years, funeral expenses have risen by 227%. Yeah. Funeral expenses have risen by 227%. Now your paycheck hasn't risen by 227%, I guarantee you that. Uh, but I think a lot of people look at cremation as a dishonorable way of disposing a body. The concept that we have is in the Bible times only people in God's disfavor were burned after death. And this is simply not true. Now let's let's now consider this. For example, When King Saul of Israel and his three sons were killed in battle, their corpses remained in enemy territory and were treated dishonorable. Hearing the situation, faithful Israelite warriors retrieved the body of Saul and his sons, burned them, and buried the remains. Now this is what they did. They they burned Saul and his three sons and then buried what remained afterwards, buried it in the ground. You can find this story in 1 Samuel 31, 8 through 13. Now, let's look at the response of David, King David back then, when he found out about this. And David, now this is 2 Samuel 2 and verse 5. And David sent messengers unto the men who had done this thing and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord that you have shown this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. That is, they buried them after they burned their bodies, and what little bit remained they buried. Okay. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you, and I will also requite you this kindness, because you have done this thing. So, to me, what this verse is telling me is that cremation, burning the remains of a body, is not a dishonorable way to dispose of a body. It's not. Now, we have to understand. What we have to understand is what happens when you die and how does God put it all back together again. You know, we need to understand this and this will help you in this understanding of cremation and burning the remains of a, of a body. In Genesis 3 and verse 19, it says, "...in the sweat of your face shall you eat bread to return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are and dust you shall return." Now, cremation actually speeds this process up. That's that's the dust process, you know. But as we look at people's death and how they die, I mean, I think of the Columbia Columbia disaster, uh, the space shuttle that basically those people just sort of vaporized in, in, in tremendous heat, I would imagine. You think about people that died at sea, maybe eaten by a shark or something like that. And the scripture, begins to talk about the resurrection chapter. And, and the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, is, a, is critical in your spiritual understanding of the Bible and what happens when you die and how will God put it all back together again. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 35, but some men will say, how are the dead raised and what body do they have? Paul's response, you fool. That which you sow is not quickened except it die. Now, that's, that's sort of a powerful response there. You know, you idiot, you ought to know better. Okay? You're foolish for being so concerned about how the dead bodies are disposed of, whether they're eaten by a shark, whether they're vaporized, whether they're burned up. It really doesn't matter. He goes on. That which you sow is not quickened except it die. Okay? Now, in order to live again, you have to first die. Now, none of us like the sound of that. I don't like the sound of that. None of us like the sound of, sound of that. None of us like the thought of dying. But in order to live again, we must first die. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 37. And that which you sow, you sow not the body that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or some other grain. Now, here Paul switches to the analogy of sowing. We're talking about the resurrection, and he uses the analogy of sowing. So if you sow a seed of corn, what do you get? You get one big, you know, seed, right? No, a bigger seed, seed, you know, 20 times the size of the first little seed. No, you don't get that. A package of tomato seed. You know, you look on the package, and you see this beautiful red ripe tomato, but you look inside the package, and all you got is these little tomato seeds, cucumbers. Beautiful cucumber, fresh cucumbers out of the garden. But you look at the seed and you know, a watermelon. Oh, beautiful watermelon. But yeah, if you look at the seed, you know, all seeds sort of look the same, do they not? They differ a little bit in, in size, but basically they all look the same. You know, all people sort of look the same, don't they? They're, they're, they're just sort of all the same. But the resurrection, though, using this analogy, is going to be quite different what comes up out of that grave. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 38. But God gives it a body as it has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Yes, every seed has its own body, does it not? The watermelon seed has a totally different body that it comes out of the ground with. Okay, if you sow a body in the ground at the resurrection, you're going to get something quite different when you are raised from the dead. You sow this cancer-ridden, old, wrinkly body in the ground. That is basically wasted away. But what you're going to get is something quite different at the resurrection. So Paul begins to make all these different comparisons with the things that God has made. And, he go, he's, and now he's going to go through the list of different things that God has made. Let's, let's read about it. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beast, another flesh another of fish another of birds. Yeah, they're all different. And there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. The beauty that belongs to the heavenly body is different from the beauty that belongs to the earthly bodies. Yeah, Uh, here he's sort of making comparison with physical bodies. Maybe you think of a Glamour magazine, a beautiful model, a beautiful uh, woman, a beautiful handsome, you know, a handsome man. And, of course, that beauty only lasts for a short while, you know. And he's comparing it, you know, with the angelic bodies, which are quite different in beauty. The angelic might be a translucent, glowing spirit being, uh, but it has a different kind of beauty than physical bodies. All right. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 41. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. And here he's saying there's different kinds of beauties, different kind of beauty out there of of different things. So Paul makes all these comparisons and then he comes around to this point of how God is going to put it all back together again. You know, it's like Humpty Dumpty had a set on a wall, Humpty Dumpty Dumpty had a great fall, but no one could put him back together again. Okay, that's Humpty Dumpty. Okay, Uh, but but God is going to put it all back together. But what kind of a body? Okay? So also, here we are at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. Yeah, it's sown in the ground in corruption. Cancer ridden body, old wrinkled body. Yeah, that's how we are sown into the ground at our death. It is sown in dishonor, yeah. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, oh boy, is it ever. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, what we have right now, physical, flesh, and blood. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, there's the difference. There is a natural body, what you have right now, look into the mirror, you know, when you're naked, look in the mirror, that's your natural body. But there is a spiritual body that you're going to be given at the resurrection. That's going to be quite different than that physical body. So what is a spiritual body? Now I like to think about this because I think it's cool. Uh, Number one, God is a spirit. And uh, we're going to be like him, the Bible says. No longer are we going to be composed of flesh and blood at the resurrection. Now that's a good thing. Why is that a good thing? Well, because flesh and blood wears out. I mean, it's dependent on oxygen. It's dependent on blood coursing through your veins. It's dependent on your heartbeat. It's dependent on a lot of things working together. And uh, But the problem with the flesh is it gets old, it gets ugly, and it dies. Okay. Besides, the Bible tells us flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You know, Whatever this kingdom is, when Christ returns, flesh and blood is not going to enter it. You're going to have to be changed to see God. You can't see God in the flesh. If you tried to, you would die. You would melt. Your eyes would melt out of your sockets. You've you got to be changed in order to see God. You've got to see God as He is. You have to be changed into spirit, a spirit being, not your natural body, but a spiritual body in order to see God. Okay, what does it mean to have a spiritual body? We're talking about immortality. All right, This is the time we're going to be given immortality. Now, what does that mean? That means you live forever. It means you can't die. I like to think of thoughts like traveling at the speed of thought when you're a spirit, no longer flesh and blood. Flesh and blood, you know, you're limited. You've got all these limitations. When your spirit, when you're given this spiritual body, you're not going to have any limitations. You can travel at the speed of thought. No limitations, no aches, no pain, no death. You can be visible or you can be invisible. Yeah. this is a powerful concept of what you can be and, and what you can do as a spirit when you're given this spiritual body. Uh, as you get older, you think about it more. You really do you know when you're young you think you're immortal in the flesh <laughs> and then you as you get older you realize oh no i'm not immortal at all I'm, I'm dying every day i'm getting closer to death as the years tick off and i yearn for something that i don't have i yearn for immortality i yearn for a body without aches and pain i yearn for no limitations yeah no more pain no more death so It really doesn't matter how this body is laid to rest. Eaten by sharks, vaporized, burned up. It doesn't matter because you're going to be given a new body, a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what this means. This means that actually there there are going to be some people who live up, Christians in whom the Spirit of God dwells, who live up to the return of Christ. That's what it means when it says we shall not all sleep. Basically, it's talking about we shall not all die the death of, you know, when we die and we are asleep in the grave. We shall not all sleep, but you're still going to have to shed that physical body in order to see God. So if you're alive at Christ's return, all of a sudden your body, is you're going to be standing there. If you hadn't died, you're going to be standing there and your body's going to begin to pulsate. You're going to look and all of a sudden you're going to be able to see straight through your hands. This flesh is just sort of vaporizing away and you're turning into a spiritual body. And then you can zip away just like that and meet Christ in the air or whatever you want to do, but translucent, glowing, spiritual, energizing power through and through. Energy like you've never experienced in your life. That's what it's going to be like. So, yeah, you still had to shed that flesh to see God. That's what this verse means. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. That's the change that's got to take place. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Okay, the trumpet sounds, who are the dead? Question, who are the dead? All those in heaven, right? No, that, that, I, I don't know, you just, you just got sidetracked, okay? No, it's, it's the people in the grave. They're the dead in Christ. They're dead. They're asleep in the grave. And they have to be raised from the dead and changed into that spiritual body. All right. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal, notice what we are now, mortal, subject to death, must put on immortality. When do we put on immortality? You know, this puts the, the teaching of the immortality of the soul, that you have an immortal soul right now, it just knocks it into a cocked hat right here. No, this verse says what we are now is mortal, and we got to put on immortality, but we don't put it on until the resurrection, until Christ returns and raises the dead. Until the resurrection, what happens to the body? Well, it returns to the dust of the earth. Okay, it returns to the dust of the earth. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 5, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. So this passage tells us the dead don't know anything. Now why is that? That's because they're dead. They're asleep in the grave waiting for the resurrection of the dead. Now I know that, so there's no contact with the dead. Now I know there's people that claim they made contact with the dead, but... Actually, what that is is evil spirits posing as deceased loved ones. And that's something you want to stay away from. I mean, the, whatever person you might go to who actually claims they've contacted the dead or, or made connection with the dead. No, it's evil spirits posing as deceased loved ones. And that's evil, and you don't want anything to do with that because you can open up a door uh, a di- to the diabolical world of demons by getting involved in that. All right, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was given, talking about the body, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. Now that Spirit that makes you you returns back to... The body goes to the ground, the grave, in the dirt, turns to dirt again. The Spirit goes back to God who gave it, but it's not conscious. The spirit that returns back to God is not conscious of anything. It's not rolling around heaven wondering, looking down, wondering what's going on. Oh, there's my wife that I used to be married to. She then got remarried and she's in the bed with another man. No, it's none of that nonsense. The spirit that returns back to God who gave it is not conscious of anything. It's just stored away until the resurrection. At the resurrection, it'll be given back to you. Okay? Now, James 2 and verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Notice what this verse says. It says, the body without the spirit results in a condition called death. When you disconnect spirit from your body, it results in a condition called death. The body goes back to the ground, the dust of the earth, the spirit returns back to God who gave it. It's a period of death. At the resurrection, that spirit will be given a new body, a spiritual body, and that's what you're going to be raised from the dead with, a new body, a spiritual body. Okay. Now I know that people like to believe that their loved ones immediately go to heaven. But you gotta understand something. Before a person can live again, there's got to be a resurrection. And if you believe your loved ones are immediately go to heaven, then you believe the resurrection takes place in isolation one person at a time, immediately upon death. Again, in order to live again, there has to be a resurrection from the dead. You cannot have people already in heaven and then throw in the resurrection as an afterthought. No, you can't do that. In order to live again, there has to be a resurrection. And again, I know that there's people that believe their loved ones are in heaven right now, but... If that's what you believe, then you believe the resurrection takes place in isolation, one person at a time, immediately upon death. The problem is your Bible doesn't teach that. Your Bible teaches that God is going to resurrect the saints at his return. They're asleep in the grave. The dead in Christ are going to be raised. That's what your Bible teaches. Okay, cremation. Now, it's important to understand about the state of the dead. Okay. Okay. Cremation. There's nothing wrong with it. Because God will resurrect the dead with a new body. Okay. There is one last thing I want to tell you. Honor your father and mother. It's the fifth commandment. There's a little story in Exodus 13 and verse 19. It says, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Joseph told his family members, I don't want to be buried in Egypt. Take my bones with me when you leave Egypt. Okay. The last thing I want to tell you about cremation is honor the wishes of the deceased and the living partner. Honor the wishes of the deceased and the living partner. Let them make that final decision. And hopefully, you know, husband and wife have discussed this before one dies or whatever. They've discussed their desire to be cremated. But honor the wishes of of the deceased and the living partner. I'm David Freeman, and that's what's really in your Bible.
0: The Immortal Soul Millions believe that you have an immortal soul that either goes to heaven or hell when you die. Yet the words, immortal soul, are nowhere to be found in your Bible. Think for a moment. If you already have an immortal soul, then why do you need God? You already have something that lives forever inside of you. Why would you need a relationship with God? The concept and teaching of the immortality of the soul does not come from the Bible. Philosophers like Plato and Socrates came up with the concept as they speculated about the state of the dead. What does the Bible really say About immortality. What do the dead know? What does the Bible really say about the state of the dead? Do the dead know anything? Are they aware of the passage of time? Do disembodied souls roam heaven's corridors? Do spirits of dead people roam the earth? Can you talk to the dead? Is someone listening on the other side? What does the Bible really say about the state of the dead? The Resurrection The only promise Jesus Christ ever gave of living again was by a resurrection from the dead. The teaching of the resurrection of the dead fills the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. There is no greater promise for mankind than the dead being resurrected. However, The teaching of going to heaven when you die has made the greatest promise in the Bible unnecessary. If the dead go immediately to heaven when they die, then why do you need a resurrection? What does the Bible really say about the resurrection? Order these three pieces of literature by writing to Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.org.